Today's reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 39. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the Gospel of Christ. Well, thank you for that reading. Can you hear me? What a great place this is, isn't it? I can see that a lot of work's gone into moving stuff around, so well done all you who worked. Before, last time I preached here, it was actually facing that way, so it seems a bit odd here. But there's heaters now, isn't that wonderful? Uh, well, we're looking at uh, those verses, uh, but in particular, well, we're just looking really at uh, those verses uh, 35 to 39. So if you've got your Bible and you want to open to that place, that's the place to, uh, that's the, the, the verses we'll be looking at. The others are, uh, show a context, but uh, we'll be looking at the importance of prayer. So let me pray. May the words of my lips and the thoughts and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, our Creator and Redeemer. Amen. Well, I have to ask this question, what is your prayer life like? Is it a healthy prayer life as a Christian? Or are you, are you always one who finds reasons not to pray? Even though you're a Christian, uh, prayer comes way down the list of things in your Christian life. Well, Martin Luther, the great, uh, the great reformer, said this. He said, I'm so busy nowadays that if I don't spend two or three hours in prayer, I cannot get through the day. If I neglect prayer even for one day, I'd lose a great deal of the fire of faith. Prayer gave Luther the fire or the power to achieve what he did. And when you read church history, throughout church history, every Christian through whom God has has used spiritually, in a spiritual way, have prioritized prayer. 
Well, in uh, those verses that were read, Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39, it's obvious where Luther and others got their model to pray. And that was, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer to his Father was vital to his ministry. Verse 35, Jesus got up early, went to a solitary place, and he prayed. Luke chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus often, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed to his Father. I want to suggest this morning that prayer gave Jesus three things in his ministry. One, power. Two, focus. And three, and three perseverance. Well, let's look at them in turn. Firstly, prayer was a source of Jesus' power in his ministry. Some Christians, uh, I used to many, many, many years ago, some Christians thought that Jesus didn't need to pray because he was God. That he sort of just prayed because for us it was a good example, he set a good example for us to pray. No. <clears throat> Jesus, yes, Son of God, yes, fully divine, was also fully human. And as evangelicals, I think we often forget that. He was also fully human. So he needed to pray to his Father to receive assurance, strength, and power to minister. And I think you can see that here. Jesus had been ministering all day, preaching and casting out evil spirits, first in the synagogue from verse 21 and following, and then in verses 29 to 31, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And that same evening, verse 32, people brought to Jesus all who were sick and possessed, and he healed them. Humanly speaking, Jesus must, been abs- must have been absolutely exhausted mentally and spiritually at the end of that day. In Luke chapter 8, a woman who was sick touched Jesus without him knowing, and she was healed. And it says in verse 46, Jesus said, someone has touched me and power has gone out from me. Power has gone out from me. When he healed, sometimes we don't understand, but somehow power went from him when he healed. Healing people, preaching non-stop spiritually, was draining for Jesus Christ. And so try and imagine Jesus at the end of this particular day. He must have been absolutely exhausted. I still remember how I used to feel on Sunday evenings after preaching three times and leading a service three times and being with people all day. I was absolutely shattered in the evening on Monday I was like a zombie all day. And if you've done that kind of work, you'll know it's exactly the same. It is exhausting. Jesus must have been absolutely exhausted. Humanly speaking, how did he continue? Verse 35. At daybreak, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house. He went to a quiet place to be with his father, where he prayed. Prayer was a vital source of his spiritual power. And Jesus here gives the picture of how to balance ministry in the Christian life. In the morning, before dawn, alone with God, and then ministering to people. And that should be the pattern in every Christian's life. Private, intimate prayer with God, and then doing ministry in your daily life. That's the pattern. Prayer 
Then, wherever you are, ministry to people, encouraging people, living the holy life where you work or socialise, living the gospel. If there was a key, if there was one key to Jesus' power in his ministry, it is here. And it's the key for Christians for being spiritually active in our Christian life. It's the difference between just being a Christian and a Christian who achieves spiritually in the kingdom of God. For many Christians, serious prayer is not big in their Christian life. For some, it's almost non-existent except on a Sunday which is sad because a weak prayer life leads to non-effective ministry because there's little power. Prayer to the Christian is like an engine room is to a warship. A warship has a speed of 40 knots these days. It has guns and air missiles and radar systems for detecting enemy vessels. But all that power is dependent on the engine room. If the engine room stopped... There's no guns, no missiles, no radars, no lights, no steering. It can't move. It's a warship, but it is absolutely useless. It's just floating around looking good. It can't do what it was built to do. Without power from the engine room, two things happen. One, the ship can't do anything. It can't go anywhere. It can't achieve anything. But secondly, it's a sitting duck for the enemy because it can't fight back. There is no power to resist. And that's prayer in the life of a Christian. Without constant times alone with your father, you might go to church on a Sunday, you might do this, that and the other, but you will achieve little spiritually in your Christian life. Plus, you'll be a sitting duck for the enemy. Always falling into temptation. Oh, I know I shouldn't go there. I know I shouldn't go with those people, but I do go with these people. I shouldn't go. With, I should go to the Bible. So, but I haven't got time. I've got time for this. I haven't got time for. There's time for sports and movies and work and shopping and holidays and time, but little prayer. Brothers and sisters, there'll be no power to minister effectively in our Christian life if we don't have a healthy prayer life. We'll be a Christian, but we'll be floating around doing nothing spiritually. Secondly, prayer focused Jesus' ministry. In the Gospels, Jesus' custom seemed to be that he was praying each morning. That's the, that's the, the implication you get when you read the Gospels. Prayer each morning was a given. But he prayed on other occasions. At important times he prayed. When he's about to take a significant step, he prayed. Or when he faces a tough spiritual encounter. He prayed at his baptism, at his transfiguration. He prayed before he chose his twelve apostles. Before that, before that, he was in prayer all night before he chose his apostles. And his greatest conflict in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was about to face the cross. At these special times, he went to his father, no doubt to pray for strength and to remain focused on his mission. And I think you can see that in this passage. In verse 36, Mark says that when his disciples woke and found that Jesus had gone, they looked for him. And they looked for him to urge him to come back because the crowds were clambering after him. Everybody's looking for you, they say. But he says in verse 38, let us go somewhere else so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So why did Jesus want to leave now? 
people were clambering after him. Why go? Well, in the Gospels, you see that the crowds, especially Mark's Gospel, you see that the crowds often followed Jesus for the wrong reasons. They just wanted to see healings and miracles and deliverances. They wanted the excitement of everything. And humanly speaking, that acclaim, that popularity, is hard to resist. Pride loves that kind of stuff. Pride loves flattery. I love to be popular. That's my wife. I love that. I'm somebody. I like to feel like that. Sinful pride loves that. Now, our Lord, of course, was sinless. Therefore, there was no selfishness. There was no prideful within him. But Satan would tempt him with that. He did in the wilderness. He tempted Jesus to love being popular. He wanted him to have the, he offered him the fame and the acclamation and the prestige and the position and status. And if Jesus goes down that track with these people doing miracles and healings, it will lead them to have a wrong idea about why he came. And prayer to his father seemed to focus his ministry. We don't know what went on between the father and son at those times. Of course we don't. Perhaps Jesus remembered the time in the eternal council chambers of God, back before the world was created, where there was only the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was before creation was, it was when creation was being planned, and when the fall would come, it was anticipated, and mankind would turn their backs on God. Perhaps he thought about these things, and where they would walk their own way, and when God would see that these his people would need saving. And at that time, the Father and the Son entered into a covenant. If the Son would die for their rebellion against God, if he would die in their place, the Father would redeem them. He would save them. That was God's plan. And maybe at these times, Jesus was reminded of that. And that's what Jesus came to do. Yes, it was necessary that he have the power to heal sickness and to do miracles to demonstrate that he is God's saviour. But that wasn't the real work. The real work was to preach the kingdom of God and then to die to save God's people. And maybe this is what the father and son spoke about in those times. They spoke about the real mission. So when the disciples and this crowd of people wanting to stay, Jesus says, no, I've got to preach the kingdom in other towns. That's why I have come. Prayer kept him focused in his ministry. Oh, that the church throughout the centuries and today would remember that. The church has often lost her focus as it has in many Western countries today, social and cultural issues have taken the church completely away from the gospel in many places in the church. And I don't think it's any coincidence that we see today, and for the last hundred years, a decline in the church's preaching and prayer life. I think you're very blessed at St. Stephen's to have a healthy prayer life church. Prayer meetings today are rare in many churches. Go and visit them. Don't take my word for it. Go and visit them. And because of that, a clear view of the mission has been lost. And individual Christians, us, 
we can forget the mission. We can forget that we are in this world for a short time only. We are strangers and pilgrims who are on our way home. This is not our home. But we get to thinking that this world is our home. And so we build and plan and work and save for the things of now. We look for the house and the car and the travel and the big OE and the career and the leisure time. These become the focus and they take us away from the real mission. And we forget that we're here to do ministry. Just as Jesus was. To preach and live the gospel in what we say, in what we do, whether we're at work, whether in social life, whether with our neighbors, that's our ministry, to reach the lost. And we lose our focus, often because our prayer life is weak. And I also think it's hard being a Christian today in this society. I think it's going to get harder. But I think it's difficult just keeping faith in this society. But prayer is what will keep you focused. You'll remember why you're here. You'll remember the mission. You'll remember the task. And you'll remember how you should live in this world to show the love of Christ. And you'll be given the strength to do it in prayer. Thirdly, prayer gave Jesus strength to persevere in his ministry. Verse 39. So he traveled about Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. I've tried again this week to imagine the enormity of the task that Jesus faced. Can you imagine the task that Jesus faced when he came into this world? I don't think we can as humans. Try to imagine how difficult. Let me, let me try and give you just a glimpse of how difficult it was for Jesus. Isaiah in chapter 9 prophesied that when the Messiah came, the people would be in darkness, that is, spiritual darkness. And when Jesus came, they were in darkness. Yes, some of the, some of the Jewish people were faithful, of course they were, but true love of God had been lost in a maze of religiosity which revolved around the temple and sacrifices and festivals and feast days and Sabbath days and rituals and traditions and fasting and tithing and on and on it went. And they didn't really teach from the scriptures. They, teach, they taught from what was called the oral law, what Mark says in, in, in the Gospels as the traditions of the elders. That's what they taught. It was laws which the scribes had laid down about the scriptures. This is what their religion had become. Rules, rituals, laws. Lots of stuff, but God was hidden behind all this stuff. And they'd done this for so long, century after century, that they thought that this is, this is what true religion was. It was spiritual darkness. If you know your church history, you'll know that things were bad spiritually in Europe before the 16th century Reformation came. You'll know how bad it was. In your, the Pope was selling indulgences for time off purgatory. So you, so you paid so much money and you got a thousand years off purgatory. That's what they, they give you a piece of paper to say that. There was worship of, of relics and saints. It was complete darkness. But that was nothing compared to Israel when Jesus came. Nothing. For example, the rabbis used the Ten Commandments as a sort of check-off list. 
well, I haven't committed adultery, I've kept that one, so I'm not a sinner. I haven't murdered, uh, so I've kept that, so I'm not a sinner. And that's what they taught. That's what they taught the people. If you don't commit adultery, you've obeyed God. If you do, if you do commit adultery, you're a sinner. But I'm okay. I haven't, uh, I haven't uh, committed adultery, so I'm not a sinner. And Jesus came and said, You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, God's commandment goes much, much deeper. You even look at a woman lustfully and you have sinned. Now who's the sinner? And it wasn't just that one. All the commandments had this deeper, deeper meaning that it comes from the heart. That we are to love God from the heart and we are to love others from the heart. That was always true religion. But over the centuries, that got lost. God had been lost in a maze of rituals and rules and traditions and ceremony. Have you ever found yourself completely in the dark, in a completely dark place? Groping to sort of find out where you are. Well, that's what it was like when Jesus came spiritually and only the Son of God could break through that. Only he could open their eyes. That's why you hear of encounters between Jesus and people like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a religious leader. He was a theologian. But he was an honest man who truly wanted to know God. Nicodemus knew all about religion. But he didn't know God. And somehow he knew it. And he truly wanted to know God. And you can hear the frustration in his voice when he says to Jesus, I know you're from God, but but I don't understand. What do you mean entering the kingdom of God? What do you mean entering life and being born again? What do you mean? And this was all Israel in spiritual darkness. Can you imagine the enormous task that Jesus faced? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine the isolation Can you imagine the loneliness of Jesus? As Christians, we get frustrated when our non-Christian friends don't understand, when they won't see the truth. But we have support from other Christians. We have support from others who God has opened their eyes. We have support. Jesus had nobody. He had no one. Can you understand why he wept toward Jerusalem, Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem. From his human side, how could he face that? How could he do it? Only his father understood. And prayer was the key. He was totally dependent on his father because nobody else understood. Nobody. Now, of course, we don't face the enormous task that Jesus faced. But New Zealand and Western society in general is in spiritual darkness and the the task appears to be so big. I know it does. You might speak to your non-Christian friends about the gospel, but they don't understand. Don't even want to know. Don't even want to understand. And sometimes you get a small chink of light, but then suddenly you're backwards. You're disappointed again. You seem further back than when you started. And so you feel like, Giving up, if you're anything like me, if you like giving up, it's too hard. What's the answer? Prayer is the answer. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus needed to pray, 
in order to penetrate that spiritual darkness and persevere, we do. And not for two weeks, not for two months, not for two years, maybe 20 years, maybe 30 years. I think of William Carey, the great Baptist missionary to India. He lost it. When he was in India, he lost his wife, he lost a child, and he slaved and worked and prayed for converts in the land of spiritual darkness, India, for years. And he saw no converts for 14 years. And then one day, light broke through. An Indian was converted. 14 years. The lesson? You've got to persevere if you want spiritual results. And that only comes through prayer. And prayer with other Christians. It doesn't have to be ours. We're not all Martin Luther's. For a regular quiet time, alone with your Father in heaven, who loves you and cares for you. And by the way, prayer will always be a battle. Always. The devil will do anything to stop you praying. Jesus was assaulted mostly by the devil in his times of prayer. In the wilderness and in the Garden of Gethsemane. So prayer will always be a battle. But may our Lord's life and our love for him be our encouragement to pray. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, the early Christians were amazed that they could come into your presence. The apostles could hardly believe it. We can enter your presence and we give you thanks for that. Thank you that we're in your presence this morning. We pray that you would strengthen us, Father. Help us, we pray, to come into your presence. Tell you all our difficulties and the trials that we're going through. And strengthen us, we pray, that we may be better people for you. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen.